Hello, this is R.J. Deacon, reading the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in Lorenzo v. Securities and Exchange Commission, certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit. Securities and Exchange Commission Rule 10b-5 makes it unlawful to employ any device, scheme, or artifice to defraud, make any untrue statement of material fact, or engage in any act, practice, or course of business that operates as a fraud or deceit in connection with the purchase or sale of securities. In Janus Capital Group versus First Derivative Traders, this court held that to be a maker of a statement under subsection B of that rule, one must have ultimate authority over the statement, including its content and whether or how to communicate it. On the facts, Janus, uh, on the facts of Janus, this meant that an investment advisor who had merely participated in the drafting of a false statement made by another could not be held liable in a private action under subsection B. Petitioner Francis Lorenzo, while the director of an investment banking of investment banking at an SEC registered brokerage firm, sent two emails to prospective investors. The content of those emails, which Lorenzo's boss supplied, described a potential investment in a company with quote confirmed assets of ten million dollars. In fact, Lorenzo knew the company had recently disclosed that its total assets were worth less than four hundred thousand dollars. In 2015, the commission found that Lorenzo had violated Rule 10b-5, Section 10b of the Exchange Act, and Section 17a1 of the Securities Act by sending false and misleading statements to investors with intent to defraud. On appeal, the District of Columbia Circuit held that Lorenzo could not be held liable as a maker under subsection b of the rule in light of Janus but sustain the commission's finding with respect to subsections A and C of the rule, as well as section 10B and section 17A1. The Supreme Court held, affirmed, dissemination of false or misleading statements with intent to defraud can fall within the scope of rules 10B-5A and C, as well as the relevant statutory provisions even if the disseminator did not make the statements and consequently falls out of Rule 10b-5b. It would seem obvious that the words in these provisions are, as ordinarily used, sufficiently broad to include within their scope the determination, dissemination of false or misleading information with the intent to defraud. By sending emails he understood to contain material untruths, Lorenzo employed a device, scheme, and artifice to defraud within the meaning of subsection A of the rule. Section 10B and Section 17A1. By the same conduct, he engaged in an act, practice, or course of business that operated as a fraud or deceit under subsection C of the rule. As Lorenzo does not challenge the appeals court's sentencer er, sentencer finding, It is undisputed that he sent the emails with intent to deceive, manipulate, or defraud the recipients. Uh, Reference uh, Aaron versus SEC. Resort to the expansive dictionary definitions of device, scheme, and artifice in Rule 10b-5a 
and Section 17A1 and of act and practice in Rule 10B-5C only strengthens this conclusion. Under the circumstances, it is difficult to see how Lorenzo's actions could escape the reach of these provisions. Lorenzo counters that the only way to be liable for false statements is through those provisions of the securities laws, like Rule 10b-5b, that refer specifically to false statements. Holding to the contrary, he and the dissent say, would render subsection b superfluous. The premise of this argument is that each subsection governs different mutually exclusive spheres of conduct. But this court and the commission have long recognized considerable overlap among the subsections of the rule and related provisions of the securities law. And the idea that each subsection governs a separate type of conduct is difficult to reconcile with the rule's language, since at least some conduct that amounts to employing a device, scheme, or artifice to defraud under subsection A also amounts to engaging in an act which operates as a fraud under subsection C. This court's conviction is strengthened by the fact that the plainly fraudulent behavior confronted here might otherwise fall out of the rule's scope. Using false representations to induce the purchase of securities would seem a paradigmatic example of securities fraud. Lorenzo and the dissent make a few other important arguments. The dissent contends that applying rules 10b-5a and c to conduct like Lorenzo's would render Janus a dead letter. But Janus concerns subsection b, and it is said nothing and it said nothing about the rules application to the dissemination of false or misleading information. Thus, Janus would remain relevant and preclude liability where an individual neither makes nor disseminates false information provided, of course, that the individual is not involved in some other form of fraud. Lorenzo also claims that imposing primary liability upon his conduct would erase or at least weaken the distinction between primary and secondary liability under the statute's aiding and abetting provision. See 15 U.S.C. section 78TE. But the line the court adopts today is clear. Those who disseminate false statements with intent to defraud are primarily liable under Rules 10b-5a and c, Section 10b, and Section 17a1, even if they are secondarily liable under Rule 10b-5b. As for Lorenzo's suggestion that those like him ought to be held secondarily liable, this offer will too often prove illusory where a maker of false statements does not violate subsection B of the rule, perhaps because he lacked the necessary intent. A disseminator of those statements, even one knowingly engaged in an egregious fraud, could not be held to have violated the aiding and abetting statute. And if, as Lorenzo claims, the disseminator has not primarily violated other parts of the rule, then such a fraud, whatever its intent or consequences, might escape liability altogether. That anomalous result is not what Congress intended. The decision below is affirmed. Justice Breyer delivered the opinion of the court, in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Ginsburg, Alito, Sotomayor, and Kagan joined. Justice Thomas filed a dissenting opinion, 
in which Justice Gorsuch joined. Justice Kavanaugh took no part in the consideration or the decision of the case. Uh, Remember, he came from the D.C. Circuit. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach the podcast, we can be reached at RhodesScholar80 at gmail.com. That's R-O-A-D-S and 8-0.